0: haven't met uh come check uh come up, up here and say hi to me and we'll get a chance to meet each other um but uh we are um in inside of our the last couple of weeks last couple of months we have been going through a sermon uh series about this concept of the negotiation they pour into one another one is good because the other gives itself to one another right so as our me uh, contributes all the things that make you an individual into the we, we become stronger. And as we allow ourselves to be shaped and formed by the we, we ourselves become different people. We become changed. Um, and so I just love those, again, that idea of availability, of making ourselves not just available to God to use us, to use our hands, our mouth, our eyes, our ears, but to one another as we do that. Um, real quick, I did want to mention, I, I also wanted to highlight right after church, I got it in my notes, Lunch and Learn. If you have uh, any connection to Care Portal in any way, shape, or form. This is something that has at times had really high, high emphasis at our church, and at times it's It has um, not had as much of an emphasis, and we want to see that emphasis rebirth, recreated, and for it to have um, uh, its ability. If you don't remember, um, Care Portal is the means by which, uh, if you uh, are about to go, if you are in a situation where you, um, some of your basic needs are not being met, and the foster care system is saying we are going to remove your children from that house, but all you need to do is to get a new mattress or all you need is a couch, or all you need is some basic need, Care Portal pushes those needs out to us so that we can say, we can meet that so this kid does not have to go into the system in the first place. So it's a preventative measure. It's a beautiful, wonderful gospel ministry out of Hands of Hope. And So I want to just, with a high level of um, uh, emphasis, say go go and be a part of that lunch. And get lunch. So that's also a perfect way. Um, anyways, all right, so back back into this. Um, just real quick, we, we had a lot of shifts and changes in the preaching calendar and all the different things this last week. So um, I'm actually coming into this sermon um, having not had as much time as I usually do to prepare. However, uh, if you know me, uh, that just gives me a lot of time to overthink something. So maybe this is going to be one of the best sermons I've ever delivered after having two or three days to really get it together. And if you're part of our cultural um, Uh, crossing cultures class Uh, this will be a uh, kind of a new iteration of the tool that we introduced inside of that and so this is what I want to do I want to start with just this this simple um, uh, anecdote this simple story Um, a friend of mine uh, his name was Nathan he and I were a part of this church plant in New Orleans um, many years ago, uh, and he was on staff, I was on staff, I was doing music and youth um, in this, and he was actually um, presented to be like the, the person who's going to learn how to church plant under the existing pastor, and then we would launch him out to plant his own church, called a planter in residence. And for whatever reason, he and I, were, we just could not get along. Like the whole first year of my existence at this thing was tension between he and I. And, uh, and, we, and we would be like in meetings and just like, oh man, I, I cannot. Like the things you come up with, I just don't understand it, man. They don't make any sense. And he would say the same thing back to me like, man, I don't know. We just got on each other's nerves. We could not see eye to eye. And then somebody said, we should all have the staff go through a Myers-Briggs personality traits assessment. Oh, cool, I like personality traits, you might be in the Enneagram right now, I know that's popular, maybe you're a disc person, maybe this is all new to you, but there's, you know, take your pick, there's five to 10 really popular strength finders, um, different ones that I've been a part of. We go through the Myers-Briggs assessment, and then all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, that's why you do that. That's why you are kind of geared and, and wired to ask these kinds of questions and to think about these types of details. And I'm wired to do this from this angle and do it completely different than you do or from that angle or from this angle. And all of a sudden, it was like we had the context to understand each other and we actually became friends. We're still friends to this day. So if he comes into town because he travels a lot, we try to get together. Um, and, uh, and, and, and knowing and understanding the reasons behind what he was doing made an entire world of difference for he and I getting along together um, to the extent that now like we, we realize like, hey, I'm not good at this and you are, why don't you do this and I'll do this part and we could actually strategically gear things to fit our personality types and it was a great relationship. It was phenomenal and we were able to accomplish a lot more together that way not just mitigate or get rid of the conflict that was taking place. Now. I, I want you to maybe, maybe you've had a similar experience where you couldn't get along with someone, and then you learn something about them, maybe their past, their history or something. And all of a sudden that made the difference between you being able to work with this person or just make sense and have categories to think in as you're working on the same project. Oh yeah, you're just like coming at this a little bit differently than I am. And I think in a lot of ways, this is, this is what the me we series is all about us trying to think and find and imagine different categories so that when types of conflict arise we're able to understand oh that's the value system you were bringing to the table when you decided to do this thing or that's the the way in which you were kind of strategizing how to accomplish this problem and as we're taking a look about the way our me affects the we and our we affects our me we have to understand that we're coming in with different values and here this is one of those things that's really helpful too Uh, Often it's not just a value that is different than someone. You may have the same value as someone, but they weight it or prioritize it differently than you. Okay? And so catch this. The temptation is, if it's my number one priority and it's your like number three, that's still top three. But if you don't prioritize it as much as I prioritize it, then it kind of feels like you don't care about it. Do you see how that can happen? Even though they do care about it, but it's not the same. And so you have values, you have prioritization or weight of those values. And then in the end, what we'll, what we'll end up doing is producing these assumptions. And, and so what do we mean by assumptions? Well, we make judgment calls that that was either the right way to do it or the wrong way to do it. That that was the normal way to do it or the abnormal way to do it. Or that it's problematic or not problematic. These assumptions, and this is a common um, we, we went deeper into this when it came to our culture class, but, but these assumptions is very much the metaphor of the iceberg. There's so much that you can see from the top that pokes above the waterline, but the mass majority of cultural differences exists under the water unseen in the assumptions, the things you take for granted that you don't even think about in the midst of it. And so part of this discovery idea is to reveal what's going on underneath the water so that we can help understand each other better. And when those differences, especially the hidden ones, the ones under the water, encounter one another and they're worlds apart, often they're worlds apart, there will be conflict. Often, not can be conflict there will be conflict and you have to decide what you're going to do with those things and the temptation again is just to assume that that person or that group is just wrong Um, instead of finding out why they think act do what they're doing we just make an assumption uh, a judgment call Um, and so uh, that's a personal way in which that can operate like my friend Nathan and I that can also happen communally inside of groups and it can become permanent inside of our systems. And I'm going to give you an example. I don't remember all the details to it, but when we were in New Orleans, we found out that they had to review a test because the test was biased towards a specific type of um, socioeconomic group. And this is what it was. It was a multiple choice question and they were taking the question and it said, where, where my dad parks the car when he gets home from work. And the aunt's answer, and, and keep in mind, this is like an aptitude kind of idea, right? The idea uh, is very, very much meant to be like, a, well, obviously garage, all But one, if your dad's not present, you're already like, huh? And if you don't own a garage, if you live in like a trailer park or you have a carport, then you wouldn't have that answer. So it has nothing to do with intelligence. It has to do with a specific cultural or socioeconomic way in which this thing was geared. And they realized all these kids were getting low scores and they had to re-review the test to realize, oh no, there is a cultural nuance that we did not account for in the midst of this. And it's not intelligence that's the problem. It is actually a cultural mismatch. All right, does that make sense? You can kind of see how that gets baked in there. And so as a church, what I want us to think about is we have a mission, very specifically a mission that, that creates, it forces us into these cultural conversations, often cultural confrontations, because we are asking ourselves to intentionally move towards the direction of intersecting multiple cultures. That's built into who we are. That's literally what our mission statement is about. It's to invite all people, regardless of age, ethnicity, background, to be formed into the image of Jesus so that we might love our neighbors in Indianapolis and around the world. So when we say age, ethnicity, background, all of these things are cultural differences. So what we want to do is is to consider the Revelation 7-9 idea that every tribe, tongue, and nation um, uh, would be at this banquet table in heaven and that we would rejoice in the kaleidoscope of God's heavenly kingdom together. Uh, and as you'll see, we'll land on this again. But what I want you to, to hear is the, the, the problem, the devastation of it, as, uh, uh, as, as we'll say at times, is how do we enjoy each other if we can't at that table because we haven't done the work to really think through my, my interaction, the confrontation style in which I do that. So as a community, we have to be hypersensitive to our tendency to wanna make those judgments and we have to have tools at our disposal to navigate this. And so today I'm gonna land on a tool for you, but first what I really want us to check out um, one of the questions that, and one of the things that we didn't end up doing in the crossing cultures classes intersected with um, the, the scriptures. Well, this is a sermon, not a class, and so I'm going to do a little workshoppy business for you later because uh, I got the whiteboard out, and you got to use the whiteboard if it's out. And, um, but, but what I want you to see is that this is everywhere in the Scriptures. In fact, um, think about all the places we've been. Acts 15, Paul's interaction um, before that. With the, the, he's using multiple languages. He knows the cultures well enough to make this call and this call to this person, but not this person, and speak to this person in this language, and use this structure over here, not there. Use that structure over there. This is when the Greek um, you know, citizenry is going to be in my favor, and this is when it won't. He's using all these things. So the Bible is like this masterclass on cultural engagement due to the fact that it is relentlessly set in multiple culture, multi, multicultural settings, okay? So um, the one I want to bring up today is Romans 14, um, verse 5 through 23. I got my verses in kind of late, but do we have them? Romans 14, maybe or maybe not. Oh, we do got them. All right, cool. And then uh, always I, I encourage you to have an analog Bible as well and pull that thing out and go to Romans 14. Um, Starting in verse 5, this is what it says. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord. For they give thanks to God and whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. So all the meat eaters in the house say amen. Amen. And all the non meat eaters in the house, give us an amen. Yeah, we got a few. I know. I know you're out there. Uh, uh, I, I, in doing that, I lost my place. Back at it. Seven, for none of us lives for ourselves. I'm going to say that again. None of us lives for ourselves alone. And none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For every for for this very reason Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, and this is where it gets dark. Why do you judge your brother or sister? Why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. As it is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me and every tongue will acknowledge God. So, so just like we, we acknowledge personally, we all have a tendency to make a snap judgment. And this is happening right here in this situation around these ideas of Sabbath and whether or not they will eat meat. Verse 12 then says, So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of your brother or sister. I am convinced being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is unclean. Watch him discern the details. All right, I'm going to come back to that. Verse 15, if your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Pay attention to love. We're going to come back to that. Do not, by your eating, destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking but of righteousness peace and joy in the Holy Spirit because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval I know this is a long one but keep keep with me we've got discernment of the details we've got love and there's another one I need you to hear let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace to mutual edification do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food all food is clean But it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So whatever, here it is, whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat because their eating is not from what? Faith. And everything that does not come from faith is sin. If you have a Presbyterian background, you say, praise be the reading of God's word. And you would all say back to me, praise be the reading of God's word. So check this out. Um, Richard Twist is a phenomenal theologian. He's a Native American speaker. I've seen him on a couple of occasions. And he often will use this example. He comes off stage and he's dressed in his traditional Native American um, clothing. uh, And he has a drum and he's the creator. And he comes in, he kind of just lets it settle and stops and then says something along these lines. I don't have the direct quote, but I've seen him say it a few times. This is a good drum. And it is built with the skin of a good deer that God the Creator made good. And when I first encountered Christians and missionaries, they told me this was demonic and that I had to burn it. Now what happened there is he's in a very, very visceral, emotionally charged way, he is revealing the way in which we can sometimes not just make bad assumptions and embarrass ourselves, make bad assumptions and do some sort of appropriating thing that's just passing but actually completely demonize an entire culture because of a bias, an assumption because we didn't understand we imported, exported something that wasn't just the gospel and in the midst of it he's revealing that this is something that can be used for the good celebration of the creator God himself Romans 14 is doing this It's showing us this exact thing. In fact, as we're reading it, and again, I know it was a big chunk, you have these culturally different people, the Jews and the Gentiles, once again, who come into community together. They are spiritual and cultural assumptions taking place that are creating conflict. They're judging one another. On one side, we have false idols built into a culture who worship and incorporate sacrificing meat to these idols and demons. And they separate themselves away from it saying, I'm not going to be too close to that sin, to that idol. It's just, I, I don't, we shouldn't do that. And on the other side, you got someone in the background like meat is meat, man. I want to, I don't know who did what to it. I don't know who sacrificed it, slaughtered it, the animals, whatever happened, I just want to eat this meat. It's a part of God's good creation, so let's eat it. And Paul affirms that. But Paul also affirmed the other one because both things are true at the same time. Paul assesses the situation, deems it to be a gray area. And so I do want to make this one quick caveat here. Some areas are very clear inside of these scriptures. There is right and wrong, right? There's a too far in the cultural landscape. If you look at Paul's interaction and in Acts with the unknown God, he is distraught because of all of the idol worship that's taking place. And he, in a brilliant cultural move, uses something in their culture, not just once, not just the idol, but also quotes from their poets to make the point that the gospel can be seen inside of that culture. It's Paul to the Athens. But here... We have something less clear, less obvious. In fact, they're both right. So Paul wants both groups to honor God. He leaves it up to a matter of, and here are the three things again, discernment, not just discernment. I think sometimes we get good at that. We can have the discussion, talk it over, look at the details, go to the scripture. But that's one part of it because even in the midst of this discernment, is it good me? Is it bad me? Is it richly clean? Is it richly unclean? These are the technicalities and those need to be talked about. But the next thing is that it has to be tempered in love for the sake of unity. Does this cause someone else to stumble? Like, like your me, your individual me has a green light. You have freedom. But... As you interact in the context of a bigger we, you may not have a green light. You may have to abstain in the midst of that. So so you have this love for the sake of unity, you have the discernment, but then that final thing that I really wanted us to check out there was that faith is the thing that kind of seals the deal. That, That last line, anything not of faith is sin, is one of the first kind of verse portions that I memorized because this hit me so strongly when I first learned it. Faith seals the deal. Be fully sure before you make your decision. Not before, not just hoping God's going to co-sign my situation because I think it might not be okay, but maybe, but I'm just going to do it anyways and we'll figure it out on the other side. Anything not of faith is sin. And then he puts us in the context of you're going to stand before God every knee will bow and you have to give an answer for this thing. So you have discerning of the facts. You have communal love and unity. But you also have this relationship of faith. That you have to do it in good faith. And these are some really great cultural negotiation tools as we're trying to figure out what's great, what's not. Had someone stepped into Richard Twist's world and thought through this thing at that time, then maybe had, had a conversation with the people in that time, then maybe it would have changed it, maybe it would have been different. Maybe the posture of those who encountered Richard the first time needed to have a little bit different shift. And so what, what I wanna do with the rest of our time here together is just a, this advice is good trenches. Sometimes it's not as easy to acknowledge when you're in the midst of a cultural negotiation because we do have a tendency not just to, um, to, to make things uh, a problem in terms of just knowledge. In the culture of the church, when we encounter something that's different, we will often spiritualize it. So it's not just bad, it's actually like spiritually immature. It's not just wrong, it becomes unbiblical when you haven't actually done all the work to really seek that out and understand, wait, is mine just a preference? Or is that a... Is that a preference or is this, is this actually in the scriptures? And so when we have these situations where there's, there are some yeses and nos and many, many, many things inside of the gray, these are the tools we go to. But this is what I want us to do, is the way you enter into that conversation can change everything about the way it goes. And so we have to have tools, but we also have to have a vigilance to maintain love in the midst of it. Now you've heard me mention this in the in the MeWe series and it comes again from that class where I have, I've used this phrase, a posture of loving curiosity. And so we're gonna define that today with a quick little system. Um, and if you wanna see the rest of it in a broader form, we spent about 45 minutes on this. I'll give the six minute version of it here today. Um, but if you wanna know, we have it all um, uploaded on our website for you to check out that. Um, Uh, that class in the cultural negotiations. So loving curiosity for each person, for every age, for every generation, ethnic, uh, ethnicity, sorry, every background, all the ways that we could be different and sliced up in the midst of our culture. We want to walk into that with a cultural negotiation um, and a posture of, of loving curiosity that seeks to know, isn't passive, doesn't wait, but actually moves in the direction of this person in love and wants to know, why do you do it that way? Not the knee-jerk, like, oh, that's not how I would do it. But, hey, can you tell me what were? you don't have to be so technical about it, but you're trying to discern what were the values that we're using in this. And as I'm approaching my friend Nathan, hey, man, we got this, this situation. I'm really good at this kind of thing, but you seem to come at it from a different, what am I missing here? You, use your skills. Use your uh, uh, gifting applied to this thing because maybe together we'll be more rounded in the midst of it. So here, here I I actually, in the in the heart and humor of a meat uh, subject inside of our verses, uh, I thought about getting a meat grinder, but I just thought it would be a little too graphic for us in the midst of it. So I'm going to spare you. But in many ways, this works like a machine. There's there's something happening in here. There's tension, but you put something in and it comes out on the other side, some way, in some shape or form, and so here is uh, the way I want us to walk into this. So if you have your assumptions coming into it, what we wanna do is to take our attitude over here, just use some abbreviations, attitude, the inevitable dynamics, what takes place that you can't change, it's going to happen. You can't control that, but you can control your response. And then over here we have the outcome or the results. All right. I'll use outcomes be the. Same. And so what we want to do is to, in, inside of our church, create and cultivate this idea of loving curiosity that I'm going to respect and believe the best of intentions as I enter into this conversation or this negotiation. Now here's the kicker: All of us think we're doing that. right? But we're not. You've got to come to terms to with that. We all think we're coming in with the best of intentions and we have to interrogate that a little bit inside of us. You have a cultural perspective, you have a personality, so you have your intentions and we want you to have some good intentions going into that loving curiosity, going into that. Um, and, and, and the truth is that all of us, even though we, ha- we wanna have openness, acceptance, trust, and hope for the best, that's what would happen here, we often come in with some suspicion. We often come in with a little bit of doubt, with a little bit of fear, with a little bit of prejudice, and to different measures, depending on the situation we're in. So here is my all call to say, fight for this. Fight with everything in you for this, knowing that we're still gonna have a little bit of this fear and suspicion. And not everything is that uh, emotionally charged. Um, and I'll get you, I don't have time to write all of them down, um, but if you want some more of those things, I'll give them to you. Prejudice, suspicion, fear, and doubt. And then what ends up happening inevitably is you become unknowingly a player inside of a game. You had no clue what the rules were, you just are in it now. And, and it'll affect, like we talk about the iceberg, you have uh, sometimes cultural negotiation is like hygiene. Sometimes it's in the way of the foods that someone eats. Sometimes it's the climate that you're used to. Sometimes it's in the atmosphere of what's going on. Sometimes it's the way in which you think about money. Uh, All of these different attitudes, all of these things are a part of this conversation here. There's all of this encounter wherein you realize, "Uh uh-oh, we're different. What do I do with that? And in the midst of that entering into that moment, you have this place where you're, you're in this game, you may not even know the rules, and there's a, going to be a, a kind of frustration that takes place. Has anyone been there? I'll just use it that way. A frustration, a confusion, a tension, a, 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 the, sometimes an embarrassment, right? Oh, you do it that way and I do it this way and that seems like maybe, maybe, maybe my way seems bad now. So there can be embarrassment in the midst of that, um, and I added into this because I do think aggression will sometimes take place inside of this, right? You, you, have, um, you have a decision in that moment to respond in a certain kind of way, and what I'm saying in here is your response in this means everything, but first it depends on you stopping and being like, uh-oh, okay, I'm, I'm in the game. Uh, uh, this is a situation where like I'm tempted to maybe judge this person for the thing that's going on and I have to stop myself become self-aware and realize okay I have a choice and it's and it's the basic choices we tend to deal with fight flight freeze which I'm also going to put in the word apathy there um, and then fawn you know, if there's different ones that they're adding into that as we go so if you fight or have flight reaction in that situation then you may become antagonistic or start to come after that person for that situation you may have some sort of like insular response where you're like okay then I'm just going to compartmentalize and remove myself from this situation both of those are not loving both of those are not loving again loving curiosity hey why did you do it that way Why why do you order things in the way that you're ordering? Why do you take notes in the way that you take notes? Why do you choose the songs that we sing on Sunday morning as opposed to the snap judgment of, well, that's not the right way to do that or that's not the song that I would have chosen in that situation? You can have a shock response. You can be disapproving of it. But in either way, to become aggressive towards that person or to just, uh, okay, then I don't, whatever. I'm done with this. To compartmentalize and move yourself away, both of those are not good responses. Another response you could have inside of just to tolerate, and this is where I think out in the world, that's fine. Maybe that's fine. Maybe you can stop there. But in a church, in, a, in the beloved community that MLK talks about, we don't get to just tolerate each other. That's also not love. That eventually works itself out to something problematic later. Again, a loving curiosity to want to know and learn from other cultures. And so we can create this interest, this optimism, empathy, acceptance, growth, venturing out into something that might be a little bit of a risk for you, humor of your mistake. Have you ever been in that situation where you get like, oh, this is just, like it's just silly. You just stop, step back and laugh at it because what else do you do in a situation like this? And so your response in that situation means so much in the midst of that because it turns into whatever kind of results we end up moving towards. Which is, uh, you you can come into this situation and walk out of it having learned something. Having lovingly embraced someone's culture. Became more well-rounded because you realize, hey, that's not my thing. I got this thing, and you got that thing. But together, when we both apply it, we're actually hitting this thing on all cylinders. So you can have some collaborative, kind of uh, uh, cooperation between the two of you, like my friend and I did in the midst of those things. Now, there's some negative things that you can do, and as you know, the big reveal, which shouldn't be too hard for for you all to get, if you come in with good intentions you're likely to have a better response in the midst of the frustration and tension and come out with a better outcome. But if you go in with fear and suspicion completely unchecked and you have this moment, you're gonna fight, flight, freeze. You're gonna have a response that's less than good and you will have isolation, anger. You will further crystallize a bias in the midst of that. All of this is not foolproof. So at the end, and often what I'll do is just write the word 100, so this is 100% successful. If I go in like this, we're, all of our cultural negotiations are good. We're fine. We're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're doing this thing. But it's not true. This gives us the best chance at a good outcome, but it could still go this way. And so in some ways, it's like the odds are against... Whoa, Suri's checking in on us. So in some ways, um, the odds are against us. And that's why I think Paul does what he does. I think that's why we have so many opportunities to see this play out. Through the life of Paul, through the interactions of Acts, through the way Jesus interacts in all of these different situations, that when we bring into this a kind of loving curiosity, we have a best chance at learning something and embracing cultures, collaborating, seeing the difference between right, wrong, and the gray in the middle that can often lead to something negative but doesn't have to. So, 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 so hear, hear this. As we learn kind of the entire book of, of Ephesians was Paul trying to resolve this conflict. I did not choose Ephesians for that reason, by the way. I learned it in the midst of doing that work. And in some of those cases, things went well. Some of those cases, things didn't. Paul sometimes starts riots. Paul sometimes gets ran out of a place. Paul sometimes is in a situation where he gets beat almost to death and has to recover from it because he continually puts himself at risk to say, I'm going to negotiate this gospel into every possible crevice, nook, and cranny. Every tribe, tongue, and nation has to know who this God is. So what, what, what are we willing to put at risk for the sake of allowing all ages, ethnicities, backgrounds, socioeconomic status, anything that you can think of that could divide us? What are we willing to risk in order to be the bridge between those two worlds? What are we willing to insert ourselves again in a loving way? so that we can say, hey, let's discern the details together. Let's, let's love each other with the best possible means that we have at our disposal, and let's be so convinced in faith that this is the right way that we're supposed to go about this so that when we get to that point where we sit at the banquet table in heaven, this isn't new to me. Oh, oh, your food? I lo- that. one of my favorite foods. This language, the way you dress the way you're speaking, the the idioms that you use to teach wisdom in your culture, the way your humor develops, the personalities, foods and flavors, all of it at the banquet table, earth is our training ground. And so to the extent that you can develop your ability to interact with loving curiosity with as many people as possible, you will be able to stand on, sit, I guess, not stand. Don't be standing on the banking table in heaven, all right? I mean, maybe, maybe. Maybe that's the way we're going to get down. I don't know. It's a party. But you get my point. You are there and and comfortable. There is the elimination of fear, suspicion, and bias because this is the community that God has chosen to be his people. Now, I want to pray for this for us today because I think just that enough is, is, is enough to keep us moving that, that as we go into this with the kind of loving curiosity we would love all people to that extent would you be willing to love people to the extent that you could sit comfortably at the banquet table in heaven with no prejudice, no bias no fear, no suspicion just love, just faith let's pray so Father thank you for um, giving us this training ground I don't want to show up to the banquet table unprepared, God. That's it. That's that's the end point, God. I don't want to show up to that banquet table unprepared and unable to engage with the person sitting next to me because they came from a different place, culture, background than I did. So, Lord, whoever my friend in the first millennium that I'm going to be sitting next to is, bring them into my life now so we can become friends on this side And then we sit next to each other. We're like, oh, you? Yeah. Man, let's catch up for all the things we didn't get a chance to talk about. Let's tell about all the great things God did. And let me try some of your food. I want you to see some of mine. That we come as brothers and sisters, not strangers. And that starts here and now, Father. So God could common ground could common ground (laughs) become a place where we have a loving curiosity for one another and for those who have yet to come into our, our building, who have yet to come into our community, who have yet to add to our we, that we would be in a loving embrace of their me's and that it would change and make us greater and better than we were before, Lord. But it starts with us, sir. So God, give us the conviction, the discernment, the faith, the love, enough to carry us through until we sit at that table together. And we ask for this all right now. In the name of Jesus Christ and all God's people, amen, amen, amen.